welcome to The Mentors Who Made Me, a podcast brought to you by Grasp, the mentoring platform that is transforming the way people learn and connect in organisations. Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Mentors Who Made Me. Today, we are talking with Nathan Chesney Stagg, aka NCS, VP of Vault Strategy at Viva Europe. Nathan is a senior executive with deep experience in both enterprise program management and all other aspects of software in the life sciences pharmaceutical sector. He has been helping customers through complex transformation programs across the life sciences value chain for over 20 years. And I'm particularly excited to talk to Nathan today for many reasons, as we have a lot in common and we are both mentor enthusiasts, if I can use that term, Nathan. Um, thanks for joining today. How, how are things, Nathan? Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, yes, the day is going great. Great. So we, we do have a lot in common, but before we get to that, I'd, I'd like to first uh, have you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career journey and, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and well, we do have a lot in common, so I'm looking forward to talking about that. Um, some fun things and some fun crossovers. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, right now I, I work for Viva Systems. They're a, a, a software company in the life sciences space, but um, my journey started, you know, a long time ago. When I was around 13 or 14, I knew I wanted to be successful at something. I didn't know what, but I, I looked around to see where there was people that I perceived to be successful a lot of those folks were playing uh, golf. I saw a lot of people that I perceived to be successful people playing golf in their spare time. So I, I took a trip up to the local golf course um, and then kind of got a job caddying, carrying bags for some of those successful people. And, and just in time, I would sit and listen to them and do business meetings on the golf course and talk. And I'd learn from them. And over time, I'd, I actually um, got to caddy for the actual head of the golf course, the captain. Um, he was a name at Lloyd's and a very successful um, business banker. Um, and um, over time, he kind of uh, gave me this steady job where I just carry, carry a bag for him for, you know, two rounds of golf every uh, weekend, which that's eight hours a weekend. Um, and he offered me a raise once. And I said to him, hey, I'd, you know, it's great that you offered me a raise, but I'd actually like to learn from you as a business person. So if I could ask you questions, would that be OK? And he, he liked that too. So. For three years, I, I, um, that was my first example of, of mentorship and listening to successful people on the golf course and then asking them questions. And they like those questions. And I enjoyed uh, learning from them. So um, that was my I guess my first example of, of, of experiencing mentoring. Um, and then I went to university to study uh, computer systems design and architecture. I had a lot of mentors there. I would try and seek out as many people as I can to ask them their experiences, whether that's students on the year above on on how they perceive the uh, um the uh, syllabus um or actual the lecturers themselves so i you know i've always tried to form mental relationships and coaching relationships where i can as well as coaching others as when, when i've learned as well you know trying to give back um so after university i went to eli lillian company um they're a pharmaceutical company um based out of indianapolis i was i was assigned a uh, uk office in Bailingstoke in, in the uk um, and there, um, I, you know, I, I went from a support uh, role all the way up to IT director. And again, I think I put a lot of that, a lot of that um, to good mentoring, good coaching and just trying to learn from others. Um, and that's something I, I really enjoyed. Um, after I left Eli Lilly, I went to Viva Systems. Viva Systems were very small at the time, only 70 employees when I joined. 
Um, they now have um, you know, nearly 4,000, over 4,000 employees now and are extremely successful. Um, but again, um, all, of the, all of that transition, you know, be it from carrying a golf bag to university, um, to Eli Lilly and to, to Viva now, um, a, lot of, a lot of what I've learned and continue to learn is through good mentoring and good coaching. And so uh, I'm glad we have this time to talk because uh, it's something I feel very passionate about. Um, and um, if everyone can get a good coach and mentor and be a good coach and mentor, I think uh, it would make both um, them and their mentory very um, happy um, and, uh, and feel good about their day as well. So that's uh, one of the first times that I've heard of. I, what, how old were, did you say you were when you started your, your first mentorship officially? Uh, officially, well, I'm officially 13, okay. 14. Yeah, so, yeah. so, thir- so as a 13-year-old, you, you found your first mentor, mentor, and it was very deliberate. I, it's the first time I've encountered that, with the exception, I'd say, of our co-founder, Ed. He's talked about you know, seeking out and looking for mentors at a young age as well through different activities like squash and, and tennis and, and otherwise. Um, so a couple of other things I'd like to talk about. First, uh, first big thing that, that I observed with you is that you have a very unique and, and methodical uh, and, and deliberate approach to, to mentoring. Uh, something really cool, which I see you do on a yearly basis. Could, could you talk a little bit more about that? Are you talk about the mental matrix? Exactly. Yeah. The, the mental yeah, matrix. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, and, and, you know, I, I read a lot. So I, I look, I keep looking back on books to see if I've read this or whether I, or I came up with this. I, I can't, honestly can't find the book that refers to it. But what I've developed um, was as a result of a problem, which is, like I said to you, I, I, I wanted to, in my, in my first job at Eli Lilly, in my first organization I worked for, there was a mentoring program. It was quite formal. Uh, and it was, you were assigned a, what was a successful or, or a successful um, um, senior executive that would kind of mentor you. And it was a great opportunity and I was very pleased with it, um, but it was very hit or miss. It would be very much dependent on a, a number of things, which I guess we can talk about in mm-hmm. terms of what worked for mentoring. But, but it was very much dependent on, on that person you were assigned. And the person I was assigned originally was tremendously successful um, and, um, and everyone loved what he did, but he would do everything typically you know that you would imagine would be wrong he would be very informal he would speak in a certain way have his feet on the table but it worked for him right and everyone loved this person because of his personality and and what I was learning was I was getting the mentor advice from a person that really wasn't wasn't relevant to me I couldn't I, I can only be the best me I can't be the best of this person so I really I really looked around to see actually how can I take a number of opinions and kind of mix them into what I think is successful uh, and so what I did was over time, and I didn't really refine this till I got to to Viva, um, which was rather than just rely on one mentor relationship. Um, at the beginning of the year in January, I will assess what I want to work on for the next year. Um, and I, it may be three or four things. Let's say it's like presenting to a large crowd or whether it's um, writing for business or writing short effectively. Um, I will try and look around in my organization and outside my organization to see if I can find uh, six people that I believe typify some of those behaviors that I'm looking to improve on. Uh, I will reach out to those guys for guys or gals formally and say to them, Hey, you know, I'm forming a mentor matrix this year. It will be for one year. It ends at the end of this year. Um, the time that I require from you is very small as I'm, as I'm forming this mental matrix. Um, but I'd like you to be part of my mental matrix uh, and then I'd like to establish some formal and informal touch points during the year. Uh, that's really worked well for me. 
um, because diversity of thought is really important to me. Not just having one myopic view of a problem, but hearing, say, six people's view of a problem um, is really important because it allows you to then kind of ferment in your own mind what you're going to do and so- how you're going to solve it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's amazing how just asking six different people um, about something gets a wide variety of, of, of answers to a problem. All of them possibly could work. And then you can either take one of those or you can mix those. But um, for me, the mental matrix has worked really well. And I try and suggest it to others. The good thing about it from the mentor's perspective is, is that the time, um, the time requirement is much less than, than formal. Um, and, um, and also, they, you, know, they, they, you know, like everything with mentoring, I'd like to try and have that reverse mentoring also. So I try and, you know, it's not all about just getting something from the mentor. It's also about you providing an input as well. And so how long would you say you've been doing this, this mentor matrix that you're describing? Mm-hmm. 2013. Wow, that's great. And we'll, we'll be sure to share an image of that. As we mentioned, we will create an image for the for the listeners. So I think of all the people I've met, you said that you read something like, what was it, 50 books a year, or maybe even 100, 100 books a year. 100 books. That's crazy. I wish that I could read that fast. I wish I had the time. Um, you probably read more books than anybody I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> So in your, in your reading and all the books that you've read, do you have any specific uh, recommendations as they relate to mentoring? I'm a big fan. I think we talked about, you know, we will talk about the adjacent possible, which is, um, which is a part, um, is, is, is definitely a, a philosophy around actually taking ideas from another industry or, an, or another area and applying it to your own. Um, and so I try and take a lot of lessons from um, biographies, so um, anything by anything by Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, Bill Gates, um, you know, they, they, you know, learning from those folks is really important. Um, biographies are actually I get a lot more from biographies than I thought I would. So I've started to do read a lot more biographies. Um, smart Cuts is a great book um, around taking smart cuts. Uh, Checklist Manifesto. Um, Oh, that's a that's good a check. That's book. a really that's a great one. Checklist manifesto is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I've become pretty obsessed recently of, of just checklists and trying any any meet I'm in. I'm trying to enforce um, checklists on people. Sure. Uh, for those of those for those listeners that haven't read that, you know, the the concept being that there are industries such as medicine, um, surgery, um, the airline industry, tremendously well trained professionals. Um, but they need checklists to make sure that they don't miss the fundamentals and we could all learn from checklists. And um, yeah, so I try and put that in place. So that's, that's one, um, you know, I, I, from, from a coaching perspective, it's a little bit left field for, um, for a UK person, but um, coach John Wooden, who is someone um, I, I've always looked up to um, many of your, um, the listeners may not necessarily know coach John Wooden, but I did, I'd have, I'd advise them to go and look him up. You can see him on YouTube or you can go and get some of his books from Amazon. Um, but Coach John Wooden was a, was a basketball coach, uh, originally from South Bend, Indiana, moved um, out to manage the Bruins in um, UCLA. Um, tremendously successful uh, basketball coach, but also bringing a huge amount of life lessons, you know, mastering the fundamentals. You know, um, activity is not achievement. Ability gets you to the top, but character keeps you there. You know, those things are really important and they are applicable, you know, from that adjacent possible. They're all applicable to any area of business, not just basketball. So talking about strategy specifically, do you have any mentors or strategists or thought leaders that, that you admire that you've worked with over the over the years? Yeah, I think there's just, I mean, 
like the close to mind at the moment. Um, I work for um, for Viva Systems, so um, the, the biggest influences of me have been um, Matt Wallach. Uh, he was a co-founder of Viva and Peter Gassner at um, at uh, Viva also. Again, very simple messages. That's what I liked about strategy is it wasn't about blue sky thinking and trying to imagine the future. It's about having a plan and getting there and, and thinking about what the barriers are to get you where you need to go, um, picking the right markets. Um, these are these are things I could get behind. Early on, I, I steered away from strategy early on because it was it was too airy fairy for me. It was it was it felt, oh, I believe I, I believed it was all this blue sky thinking and you know, the future is going to be this and the future is going to be that. When I realized and, and I spoke to to Matt Wallach and to Peter, that wasn't what strategy is. Certainly not in strategy in Viva. It's about understanding where we need to get and then what are the blockers and the barriers to get there and the opportunities to get there. And then making a plan and then executing. Execution matters most. Um, and so um, for me, those, those influences um, match what we just talked about, really, which was um, it's a message I can get behind. It's, um, it's something I can understand. Um, so, so those people, I think in Eli Lilly, I had a, um, I had a mentor, Sue Gale. Um, she, she taught me a lot of things. One thing she taught me was, hey, once you get to a certain age, you know, don't beat yourself up too much about what you're not good at, because let's face it, you know, once you get to 40 years old or something, the chances are you're probably, if you're an introvert, you're probably always going to be an introvert. You're an extrovert. You know, there's some things you can work on, but, you know, don't beat yourself up too much about it. Just work at capitalizing and working on what your strengths are. Sure, sure. And develop those. And I think that was a really valuable lesson. I, I'd spend so many years in these mentor conversations trying to, to identify a person that was doing something that I thought I needed to do. And actually, the reality is I know a whole bunch of people that are, are not the greatest people, um, people um, person in the world, but, um, but they're tremendous technologists and everyone loves them for that. I know some really great people, um, people that, that really are not great at technology, but they form great relationships. So it's not about being perfect at everything. It's about understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are and, and working with them. Yeah, I think a part of that, too, as you get more experience, you realize that you can't do everything yourself. Uh, I think that's a part of it as well, personally, yeah. at least instead of trying to cover your blind spots or, or, or cover yeah. your weaknesses, focus on what you're good at and make sure that you have a good team and people around you to support you and that do what they're doing. Really yeah. yeah. That's a really good point, Alan, because, because you're absolutely right. You know, that, that's the one thing I, one of the things, I know two things when I went up the chain and saw more and more senior people. Uh, and that was one thing, as you say, people were very open to admitting their faults, almost, you know, like they would be straight out there and say, hey, I'm terrible at this, or maybe I don't get what this is about. You know, very senior people, when I would be kind of cagey on, I didn't understand something, they'd be very honest about saying, hey, I'm not understanding this presentation, which I thought was tremendously empowering to see people very senior be very honest about what they don't understand or what they're not good at and delegate. Um, and also as well, extreme accountability to have to be in a room with senior folks when I first got there and have people holding their hand up immediately saying, Hey, that's on me. That's my fault. I made a mistake here. This was, I thought about this and we should have done it that way. Um, that is something that I didn't anticipate, um, but I try and replicate now. Yeah. So those some great, some great points there. Just out of curiosity, there was one thing that you've described or we've talked about that I really think is important and that I agree with is the idea that there should be, uh, an end date to a, a mentorship. Uh, what can you share a little bit about your thinking around that? And, and I can, you know, add on to that as well. 
Yeah, no, no problem. Um, yeah, I, I thought this for some time. It, it was it was never a part of a formal program that I had, but I've always thought that when you enter into a relationship um, with someone, it should be very clear around the boundaries, um, the ground rules, um, and then and then make it time bound. I think everything everything becomes better when it's time bound. You know, so it, this is this is, uh, and also if you're signing up to it, you know, you're never sure whether you've got the time or not. But you can say, hey, I'd like to. Um, have a mentor relationship with you or I'll be the old mentoree. Um, it will be for the next 12 months. It'll be once a month. It'll be an hour um, and um, maybe some informal touch points, but it will end at the end of this year. Um, and if we want to renew it, we can do, but we don't have to, but it would definitely end at the end of this year. And, and that way it will crystallize my thoughts around what I'd like to get and also the mentors thoughts on what they can give uh, and their time. So I've always tried to, to make sure that, that the mentor and the mentoree understand that you should make this time bound. Most things in relationships should be time bound in some way, or at least understanding that what you're trying to achieve in a certain time. Yeah. So I, I absolutely love that. One of the ways that I describe it is that there's a sort of a narrative arc to a mentorship relationship where well, that may, may not be the best way to phrase it, but there's a, it's like a story or a movie or something. There's a beginning a middle and an end where, you kind of establish what you want to get out of the relationship and then yeah. set down the pathway. And, what, you know, as you mentioned, we'll, we'll talk every couple of weeks for an hour or whatever it is. So then there's an understanding of the commitment on both sides. And what I think most important is that you're working towards something and there will event, it'll eventually end because it's always I think it's kind of sad when a mentorship just sort of fades away. <laughs> That's the way. If you're, you're in a casual or an informal mentorship relationship where you just kind of chat and eventually you just kind of stop talking and maybe connect every, every, yeah. Sure. yeah. So I, I love, yeah, yeah, I really, I really like that idea. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a there's a, a samurai book, a Hagakuri. Um, it's a number of teachings um, by, by the samurai, but there's an example of the samurai. Um, they would go out every day and they would do some painting because, you know, the samurai were not just about fighting. They were about poetry and philosophy. And so they would go out and they would do these paintings of, of a flower. And at the end of it, they would ceremoniously stamp on the flower um, and uh, and essentially bring that moment to an end because to the samurai, they believe that the ending is important in all things. Sure. And um, and and that's something as well that, that it's it's what you've just said, which is the end is important and just bringing it to an end. Um, and not, as you say, just say, hey, we haven't met in six months. It's a bit awkward. Um, and also it crystallizes your thought, right? What do you want to achieve in this? And can you achieve it in time? It's like a project plan. You know, I first started out. If you, if, if you had a project plan which didn't end, yeah. you know, how, how do you know if, you, <laughs> if you're on track or not? You know, and that's the same thing. It's like, hey, you know, I'd really like to learn from you how to, you know, like you said, present to a very large audience. Then, you know, actually halfway through that mentor relationship, if, if I'm on track or not. So that's our belief here. Of course, what we do at Grasp is setting the structure so that mentors and mentees can, can find each other and connect and then guide them along the way to make sure that they're, they're on track and they're getting you know, a lot of value out of the relationship and moving towards uh, something important. Um, so in all of your experiences, I'm curious to, to, to get some, some, some of your ideas around you know, what you think really works well, what makes a good mentor, and, and maybe some challenges or things that you that you've experienced uh, in, in throughout your years uh, as as a mentor or yeah. as a mentoree or a mentee. 
yeah, but both both as a mentor and a mentoree, I guess these are my kind of um, experiences. I think what I and these have these have been refined over time. You get better. You get better at anything you do, whether that's good or bad. The more you do it, you get better at it. So be careful what you're doing often because you get better at bad things and good things. So I've always been aware that um, if I'm repeatedly doing something, I'm going to get better at it, whether I like it or not. So be careful what you repeatedly do. Um, but being a, a good mentor or trying to be a good mentor um, um, and a mentoree, I think the most important thing for me is being a good listener. Sure. I learned I about active listening skills. Right? That's, a, you know, as, we've, as we're showing in this, on this conversation, I think. It's about listening, thinking, and then advising. You know, what I learned or what I've witnessed in, in, over time is, is quite often a conversation is just two monologues in the presence of a witness. Um, <laughs> and, and that's not what you want from yeah. a conversation. But that, that means there will be not awkward silences, but there should be some silences. Um, Peter Gassner taught me many times uh, it's very empowering and and concise when someone asks you a question to say hey that's a really good question um, I'm not so sure I have a great answer for you right now let me think about that for a few minutes and if I don't I'll come back to you uh, it shows that you are really thinking about the question it's tremendously empowering if, if you're a mentor and someone your mentor asks you a question you just don't rattle off an answer just to to make them to make you and them feel good that you have the answer right now. It might require you to have a little bit of time. So active listening skills, asking follow-on questions, kind of really poking in um, around what the mentoree is. Quite often a mentoree will come to me with something as isn't really what they want to talk about. Yeah, sure. They don't, they, yeah. they, 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 they really want to talk about something else, but they're not sure. So they'll, they'll, you know, they'll fritter around the side and they'll kind of, talk about um topics you have to really poke in and ask probing questions so active listening skills and asking questions is really important um demonstrating accountability to you yourself being a person of accountability um owning up to things i think is really important it's it doesn't necessarily come over so much in in the actual mental relationship but if you say you're going to be somewhere or you say you can make it and you should make it and if you can't make it be honest and early on you know, don't leave it to the last minute. Go, I think I can make it. And then suddenly drop out. If you really don't think you're going to make that mentor booking or whatever, sure. then, then early on say, hey, I don't think I'm going to make this. Um, I'm not sure. Um, shall we reschedule now? Or are you OK with me at the last minute? Maybe having to not do it. But just be out there and just and that demonstrates accountability. It shows respect for the person's time. And that's all anyone can ask. Um, honesty and character, I think, is important. Giving honest answers. For me, the, one of the most simplest and most important things is never talk about another person on a mentor call. Never talk down a person, a manager or leader. We can talk about ideas. We can talk about things, but I don't talk about people. Sure, sure. I'll talk about situations. We can talk about a situation that may happen, but you're not going to get me talk about a person, and I don't want to hear you talking about a person because that's not good for anyone. Well, I think that's, um, that's a great life lesson, and it's also an important and, and challenging thing thing to take into account in large uh, political organizations. There's a lot of, we, we just did a great uh, interview with Sergey, um, who was talking, Sergey Gorbachev talking about feedback, the feedback culture. And one of the things that he said is that they don't teach you politics uh, in, in large organizations. <laughs> but part of that is also, you know, I think what you're describing is very aspirational and very difficult in a lot of large organizations to you know, make sure that you're not talking about people in the way that you're describing and, and being yeah. straightforward. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can you can advise a young person. You know, say, hey, I'm I'm happy to talk to you about the situation, but let's talk about the situation, not the person. Um, and um, that's an important thing. You know, I like to build trust. I have this um, again. I think this came from um, um, Seven Habits of of, of Effective People. Um, you know, Stephen Covey book. Um, but it talks about the emotional bank account. I don't know if you've heard that that phrase, but um, every interaction you have with a person is either a deposit or a withdrawal on an emotional bank account. And so, for instance, a simple example would be my children. If my children have come to me and ask for money or ask for a lift five or six times and they've not done anything to to help me or to talk to me, it's all withdrawals on the, the emotional bank account. There's no deposits. If they come every now and then and say, hey, dad, would you like a cup of tea? Would you like me to, um, you know, to, to tidy up this for you or whatever? They're deposits in the emotional bank account. Same thing with a mental relationship. If the only time you ever draw that relationship is to ask for things, it can get tiring, whether they realize it or not. It's withdrawals, it's withdrawals. And you become, you become, um, you know, um, overdrawn on the emotional sure, bank account. Sure. So you need to think about making deposits, you know, asking how their day was, um, you know, what, you know, how the kids doing at school, if you know their names, use their names. Um, these yeah. are simple lessons, but they're all deposits in the emotional bank account. So we, what we look towards one of the things, so this is a very practical example, but we, we, we look towards uh, what we call the to do and to ask model when you're engaging mm -hmm. with a mentor and a mentee where you know, we prompt things. It's not, it doesn't have to be all on the mentor and the mentee all of the time, but obviously the mentoree or the mentee should be putting a lot of effort in and, and making sure that they're you know, staying to commitments, but also you know, doing and asking of the mentor certain things to help progress the conversation and the mentorship as well. Um, yes. So yeah, it's a great, great, uh, great, great tips there. Uh, and maybe circling back, so you talk a lot about these three hats that you like to wear when you're, when you're mentoring. Um, yeah. I, I love that. It's great. So do you, do you actively try yeah. to wear those hats or do they just kind of naturally come out? I, it, it, you know, I've made a joke. Sometimes I should get the hats printed out because, um, yeah, no, they're, they're, you know, as we said before, I like to simplify things. So I believe in a mentor, a mentor should have three hats. They should be a counselor, a consultant and a cheerleader. Um, and in the conversations, you should be wearing one of those three hats um, so whether it's the counselor, you're actively listening, as we've just talked about, you know, whether it's a, as the consultant where you're offering a balanced advice based on the active listening skills and and probing questions, you know, and giving examples in an ideal world on the consultant side, you know, from a coaching perspective, if you can make the mentoree come to that conclusion without you telling them the answer, that's great. So yeah, sure. um, that requires a certain amount of skill. But if you can kind of ask them a number of questions and ask how they would feel. Maybe they can reach that conclusion on their own. That's far more powerful than you just telling them something. Um, so the consultant and then lastly, the cheerleader. Um, in addition to all of that, I think it's important to provide support and enthusiasm. So if they're talking about presentation, they're going to do you should say, hey, you know, that's what you've shown me is really great. Or the way you've talked me through your messaging is really important. And this is going to be a good presentation for you. I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing about it when, um, you know, when we meet back next month. Um, the counselor, the consultant, the cheerleader, they're the three hats that I hold when I'm uh, mentoring. So those are, again, these are things, and that's something that you've kind of arrived at throughout your, your time and your experiences, or is that that's something you borrowed from somewhere else? Well, it's a thing when you read a lot. There's, um, there's, <laughs> there's a tendency, a tendency to blur what's a new idea with someone else's idea. I mean, yeah, the reality yeah, is there's probably, there's, probably no, there's probably no new ideas, just building upon others yeah sure, um, sure. I, I i would imagine because it's because it's 
pretty um it's pretty consistent with the three C's. I must have read it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just curious to know if you, yeah, it, it, obviously with all the books that you read, everything is kind of captured in there somewhere. And that's, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, but, um, yeah. yeah occupying those, I think it's important to think about those three roles, right? Because also it helps you think about how you're mentoring someone. Like, am I, you know, right now I'm just listening. Uh, and that's for me, for me more than anything is about listening. Sure. Uh, sure. In an ideal world, I could, sometimes even go through a whole session just listening um and um and then we can maybe have a conversation next but sometimes a, a mentoree just needs to talk and you just need to hear what they have to say and read between the lines as well we read between the words you know what are they what are they saying what do they really want to say um and then like i said to you at the end the cheerleader i think it's really important to to leave the call you know like the hug you know what you said the hugging hug, yeah, yeah. the hugging aspect is is you know you know, what we just talked about is really good. And, and I really like the way you've thought about that problem and you've come to the solution on your own. Um, not many people of, that, of your age can do that. So that's a really uh, positive skill. Leave them a little, a little bit of a spring in their step. And then the next time they meet. Now, it doesn't mean you can't give some difficult lessons if they come. Um, cheerleader um, is just definitely making sure that you've got that hug aspect and that they feel good about um, the next time you meet. So I, I think one of the things we've that I've, that we've discussed and I've, I've uh, realized from you, you've talked a lot about the importance of, of preparation, not only in mentorship relationships, but in life. Would, would you like to share a little bit about that as well? I thought it'd be nice to touch upon that before we close off. Yeah. Thanks. And I appreciate it. Yeah. So preparation, I think I, I learned early on that, you know, preparation is important. Pre preparation prevents poor performance, but um, is, is the phrase, but you know, the better you prepare for something, this is the lesson I learned uh, from Viva and from some of my mentors. The more you prepare for something, the quicker you can forget about it and move on to another thing. So then that example, if I'm preparing well for a presentation and it goes well, uh, I feel good about that. I can move on to the next idea, the next opportunity. If I don't prepare well and I do poorly in that presentation, my performance will occupy my mind long after that presentation, what I could have done better, why, how I could have prepared. And so for me, preparation is, is important because it actually frees your mind up to carry on doing new good things. Um, but if you don't prepare, um, you'll be thinking about that presentation days, weeks later, um, and you want to really keep your mind fresh and new for new opportunities. So it, it's a, there are a lot of connections with with sports and athletes and that. I know we've talked a lot about that as well. And thinking about preparation in in terms of the mentorship relationship, can you have a specific example or tip around how that preparation applies to, to mentoring as well? Yeah, I mean, I I, I tend you know, in the answer to that question, I don't want to be too prescriptive. I don't, you know, some, some mentoring relationships are very informal and they can be just coffee chats. They can be walks in the park. They can be all sorts of things. So I, I, I'd be the last person to say there's only one way of mentoring, but um, for me, wherever possible, I like to take notes. I like to refer to my notes in preparation for the next um, session. Um, I like to show the mentoree that I've really listened and that if there's any follow on actions or if they said they were going to be presenting or doing something that I follow up and say, how did that go? So for me, it's just about I would try and spend and um, about 50 percent of the time of the let's say we we're meeting for an hour. Mm -hmm. I'll try and spend half an hour beforehand just going over my notes from the previous and just saying, what do I what would I like from this session? And I expect my mentoree to do at least the same. So I will I will set that early on. I set the importance for preparation and I will say to them, hey, you know, my expectation is, is that in all of your meetings that you are doing some level of prep 
and also post meeting that you've really had a chance to think about, write the notes, think about that session. You can draw a close to it as well. If you write good notes, you think about the session you just had or the presentation you just had. If you close it off well, um, you can move on, as I just said, to, to new things without thinking about, hey, did I miss something? So I, I like that the way that you describe that as well. What we recommend and what I find in my own personal experience is when you're, if you know that it's going to be a six month duration or whatever time period it will be when you're doing a mentorship is between each of those touch points, you should be doing something to actively advance and, and, and build yeah. value. I, I describe it as kind of building value from the relationship that's, that's mutual as well, because I think we didn't touch upon this too much. Maybe I should ask you actually, it, as, a, as a mentor, mentors get value out of the relationship. It's different than what the mentoree does. Um, but what, what do you think, and maybe to close off with this last question mm -hmm. in terms of being a mentor, cause you, you've been mentoring for a long time, obviously the mentor, I would like to think does a lot, uh, altru altruistically, um, or they do it without particularly any end goal or, or, or objective in mind. Whereas the mentoree or the mentee, obviously they want to gain knowledge or experience and, and, and grow. What would you say from the mentor standpoint are the best things that they get out of the, the mentorship relationship? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I get a lot from coaching. I get a lot from being a, a mentor. And I would say, I mean, there's there's some very formal things like reverse mentoring we do often, which is, hey, you know, um, I know about Viva. I know about this industry. But, hey, a young person's coming in. They have a different perspective, uh, whether it's social media, whether it's, you know, whether it's um, um, anything that's going on in, in their life. They have a different perspective. So from a reverse mentoring perspective, I like to to leave some time or at least feel like I've got something from that conversation. So whether it's asking their opinion on something or just, um, you know, how do they view work-life balance? Um, um, that's one thing. Um, and um, just making sure that, um, that the, the other bit that I, I, I guess I get from this conversation um, with a mentor um, is the feeling that I'm helping mm -hmm. uh, and so I get a good sense as you say altruistic or a good sense of that I'm doing something and helping someone is good sure um, as well but um, I think there are they're the, the good feeling the well-being understanding and also as well you know it's quite selfishly but you know if you're in an organization you're getting to see young talent um, and the way they're thinking that can only be good um, whether they are typical of the organization and you get a feel of where the organization's going or whether they're atypical um, and you're seeing someone of a particular high talent that you think may be good somewhere else, it's an opportunity for you to see how they think. So um, it can only be a good thing. Oh, absolutely. That's great. So I, I've got a curveball question to close things out. Uh, unrelated to mentoring, um, indie question, St. Elmo's. Oh, yes, the steakhouse. Yeah, they do great. Um, the... the um, the, uh, was it the shrimp the cocktail. cocktails. Yeah, we call them prawn, we call them prawn cocktails. But yeah, yeah, they are hot, right? They're hot, right? Have you been able to find? Did you did you try them and you like them? Oh, um, yes, uh, <laughs> yes. Very hot, very hot though. Yeah, they're a little um, spicy. I, I, I actually I actually was in there when. Um, do you remember Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco, the player? Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, think, I think he bought like most of the seats there. He tweeted out he was going to be oh. there, and I think he mostly he. he uh, <laughs> He, he had um, most of his fans there. But, yeah, no, we, we go to St. Elmo's a lot. We go to Shula's Steakhouse. Okay. Um, that's, that's good as well. 
Yeah, I had to ask the St. Elmo's um, question. I've been struggling to find uh, shrimp cocktails as good anywhere else. Uh, no, no, I haven't. Yeah. I haven't either. Yeah, okay. I think it's very much a signature dish. Yeah. Uh, I knew that when people would say, hey, when you come here, we got to go there. Yeah. So, um, and then I would do the same to other people when I when I did that. Yeah, so, it's kind no, of one no, of those I, things. I've not, found it, I've not found it anywhere else either. So it's definitely an, an indie thing. That was like the best example of viral marketing before even the, the term existed, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, no. Every place, every place likes to be known for a signature dish. Yeah, sure. And they do, they do, they do their best. But um, but no, that that one. I've, yeah. I've been in there a couple of times where people have said they did a you know they did a layover just for that. Yeah, I've I've heard that as well. Actually, I've heard that as well. That's great. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. NCS, is it okay if I call you NCS? Yeah, no, yeah. Wonderful, yeah, absolutely. great. So for everybody listening, remember to follow us on all the usual social media channels and subscribe to our monthly graphs discovery email via our website, graphs.hr. This way you can keep fully up to date with the latest podcast interviews, as well as have access to tons of amazing resources to inspire you, either as an individual or as a company, to join us in redefining mentoring in the workplace. So thank, thanks so much, Nathan. I really appreciate it. That was wonderful. Thanks. Thanks, Alan. I enjoyed it.